pathogens to the drug, and there you have an evolutionary trigger to, to have resistance trains uh, develop. So to, you, you need to optimize consumption in that way. And of course, when you do that, you will withhold antibiotics from certain patients. And, and some of these cases could be pretty every day, and you can think they're not so drastic. So you have the typical patients coming to a DP, and they, want, they, have, they have some kind of an infection, and they would like to have an antibiotic cure in order to return to work quicker. This is very common, right? So, and then the doctor might say, well, no, you won't get it. You have to stay home one extra week. Uh, and th that might harm people, not so much immediately in a biomedical way, of course, but it might harm people in another way, because this person might lose her job, or lose income, or, or other things that happen. Right? So, so different kinds of things happen uh, because when we withhold antibiotics. And then you can have more drastic things. And Michael Miller, who is a uh, uh, UK doctor, has written a little bit about this, and it's also writing in a special issue that we are putting out of the Journal of Bioethics in hopefully one year from now, or something like that, uh, writing about some really precarious kinds of withholdings that might be necessary regarding some of these more precious variants uh, about that. So it can also be more um, sharp uh, things happening here. Uh, the other aspect is that uh, one other uh, part of this problem is that we need faster innovation of new antibiotic formulas because that, that's one way to sort of win the race against the resistance development there. But when you expedite them and, and quicken up the, the rate of, of innovation, what you often do is then you cut various kinds of red tape to make it easier for drug companies then to introduce new drugs into the clinic. And that, of course, means that you, in various ways, like you do in the orphan drug, uh, orphan disease area also, uh, accept more risk when you start to use something clinically because you have made less, done less trials and, and you have less safeguards around it. But, but you think you have good reasons to start using it anyway because, for example, it's an orphan disease, they have no alternatives. But in this case, it's rather that we have to, we want to have this steady pace of new innovations entering the market in order to, so it's more like a population effect we want out of this, it's the speed itself that's crucial to tackle the thing. But of course, this will give increased risks then for individuals of unexpected side effects and so on that, that might appear. So, so, so this, this are, and we have reasons to do this, but, but then of course we have to think differently. So this affects the way we think about acceptable risk to patients in health systems that, uh, linked to how we use antibiotics. Uh, uh, and so what kind of risks are these? So this is a little bit more philosophical. So how can you think about this risk? Well, then, this would maybe not be such a hard problem if it were the case that the people who will carry this risk are also the ones that will have the benefit from this action. But usually it will not be this case, right? So the risk will be borne by patients and the benefits is cashed in probably far ahead in the future for other people and also prevention. So it's not the case that you say, of course it's acceptable to expose a patient to a risk in order to secure a benefit for this patient. So this is nothing, nothing controversial at all. But here it is rather about them exposing this person 
to a risk in order to uh, prevent a problem for another person, possibly not even yet existing in the future. So, and, and the philosophers here in the room know that this immediately triggers a lot of tricky issues uh, in, in ethical theory. So I won't go into those. But it, it, it means that it might be difficult then to square the acceptance of these kinds of measures with sort of standard professional ethics that we use today in when we raise the resources in healthcare, which, which is, so this professional ethics is usually very individualistic and the patient comes first, so this, this kind of idea. So this is, in this case, you actually sacrifice your patient a little bit at least in order for some kind of more abstract future benefit. Uh, <coughs> right. Uh, so this would mean that then justification would require new kinds of principles when we think about them. Okay, so there's another part of the challenge which is not as widely known as the first one, and this is the fact that one large aspect of, of uh, the antibiotic resistance problem is that there is massive pollution from industry producing antibiotics. Uh, and it's completely out of control at the moment, uh, and this is driving resistance enormously. So the, I have a publication there that's Reasons, if you want to. So I think the slides will be available after the symposium. Yes. So then you can look it up. But this is something we work a little bit extra on in Gothenburg because we have some strong researchers in this field. So what you could do then is you you would like to create incentives in order to have these businesses change their ways, right? So what do you do? Well, you threaten them maybe. So you press, for example, brand companies in our countries to require things from the companies that produce these things, usually in India or places like that. Uh, and this will, whatever you do then, if, if you're lucky, uh, if you're successful with this, it will necessarily drive costs up. So you will have increased costs for drug production because you have, have to add effective wastewater treatment and all kinds of things that drive costs up, right? Uh, uh, so this means then that you, uh, and, and how do you do that? Well, one thing to do it, for example, in a procurement system, you require of companies to disclose production chains and to, in various ways, guarantee that they are known to have unacceptable emission levels. And this, will, this could either mean that certain products are excluded from the market entirely, or from healthcare, let's just say no to effective drugs because you require this disclosure, for instance, and the company doesn't disclose. They say no to it, right? Or it could mean that they do the disclosure, but they, so, so to speak, compensate themselves by upping the price. So you have to accept a higher price uh, in order to do this. And then somewhere downstream, you will have some kind of priority setting necessarily being done because of this. And this is something I think not many people have thought about to this date, and I'm not sure what to think about this, but this is one aspect then that you could bring in. So should this be uh, allowed to affect then clinical uh, uh, rationing or, or at least priority setting when you choose whether or not to prescribe uh, an antibiotic, for instance, or whether or not a health system should procure one, or how you should prioritize within NICE or the NHS. Should NICE calculate about these things, for instance, when they when they try to decide what drug to procure, and these kinds of things. So, lots of things to think about. So this is a, but basically in economic terms, this means that you try to internalize an externality 
of drug production in, in so that we can control this externality and maybe act against it. Uh, so there's a third thing which is more science fiction at the moment. So uh, this is based on the fact that the two ways that that resistance, uh, antibiotic resistance is produced. So one way is, of course, that you have a resistant bacteria and, and it reproduces in the ordinary way. But for bacteria, it's also the case that they change genes with each other. So it means that and we have, so if you have, which a lot of people actually have, some resistant bacteria strains in your gut. We have lots of bacteria in our gut, naturally, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing dangerous in itself. Uh, and then if you have one strain of bacteria in your gut that is resistant, this resistant gene can then be taken up by another bacteria and then spread into the environment via the usual routes. Uh, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so th and then this strain is being spread. So this is something, there's a lot of research around this uh, uh, and a lot of uh, ideas of how these mechanisms exactly work and so on. But, uh, <coughs> so one way you could imagine here is that you screen, for example, the entire population and to pick up those who are colonized by resistance strains and then you do something with them in order to uh, try to prevent the further spread. Uh, so what could you do? Well, you could imagine all kinds of draconic public health things, of course, but the, the dream here, is, of course, is that you solve this mechanism problem so that you can produce a drug that would block the further spread. So we have people in our center who are thinking about that and, and doing research about that. But this drug then will be given to one person and it will do nothing for this person. The it will incur the usual kind of risk that any drug incurs. So maybe you have, it's a lifelong treatment. It will burden your liver, maybe or your kidneys or something like that. But it will then protect others, abstract others in the future. So this, this is an attempt. OK, so all of the text is invisible. So here's the person who receives the treatment. There's a benefit to someone else and to some, the public good of having effective antibiotics but all of the risk is carried by this person there. Uh, so, and this is usually not something we accept when we introduce new treatments, right? So we, we think we have this individualist idea that if there's a risk incurred by the treatment, there should also be the benefit, at least in statistical terms, in terms of a patient group or something like that. Uh, but here is nothing like that. Uh, at the same time, if this is this could be a very very effective strategy possibly uh, for uh, them managing this part of the problem, because very soon we will probably most of us uh, be colonized by resistant strains in our in our in our gut system, uh, because we are on holiday and we eat things and we meet other people and so on. That doesn't mean we're infected, only that we're colonized, so we're sort of carriers. Uh, <coughs> right. So these are three ways in which antibiotic resistance brings in new aspects that you can brought to bear then on how we think about reasoning or priority setting or choosing what to do in a healthcare setting or in a health system. So, uh, so what do you take away from that? So, well, <coughs> so the conclusion I come to is that when you look at the current system that we have, I think in most countries is that we look at the new treatment, we look at the research behind this new treatment, and we look at the effect of the treatment and the risk of the treatment and the cost of the treatment, 
And we do this in a sort of individualistic model. So we look, we want, if we want, if we have new treatments that brings the risk for a certain patient group, we want the benefit to be carried by the same patient group. So we don't want to just sacrifice groups for the sake of another group. So this is not our philosophy. This is the way our institutions are set up at the moment, right? And that you can motivate in a number of different ways. You can motivate it by basic moral philosophy about some more instrumental kind of reason. But these kinds of things that come with antibiotic resistance seems to press us out of that thinking a little bit and sort of force us to accept that we're actually incurring risk or cost for individuals for the sake of some abstract individual in the future for securing a public good that some completely different individuals might then benefit from consuming and so on and so forth. In order then to prevent that antibiotic resistance threat grows and undermines the effectiveness of our current health systems. Uh, <coughs> so, so how do you need to change this then? Well, two things that we have been thinking about is one thing that's sort of absent in standard discussions or standard ways of doing priority setting in the health system is to think about primary prevention. This is something you do a lot when you think about public health. Primary prevention is the sort of the best part of public health, right? So you, you build sewage systems. And this has this primary preventive effect. So we have the entire population on a certain level of health. And this helps us to run health systems effectively. We couldn't afford our current health care if this wasn't the case, right? So, so one way to do these various things that we do now have to deal with inside the healthcare system and not in the public health system is that we now have to adopt more of a kind of a public health way of thinking about things we do inside healthcare. And this means, of course, that you also have to accept a lot more of the kind of thinking that, we, okay, so we have this cost here, where is the benefit? We will, in one way, never see the benefit. This is what's often called the preventive paradox. So when you have a successful primary prevention, you never see your effect, because the harm never occurs. So this is your effect, right? So you never see the difference. And this is very different to the typical healthcare situation, where you first have harm, and then you repair it. <coughs> so this is two different logical ways of thinking of, of the moral issues here. Where is your benefit? Uh, and this is another type of benefit. And often also, when you do it at a population level, as you do here, you won't be able to point to anyone who's really benefiting, so to speak, from this benefit. But there is a benefit. There's a public good being produced, and everybody can access it, and so on. Uh, <coughs> so that's one way of thinking. That is another way of thinking. I know. A colleague of mine, Angus Dawson, who is uh, from the UK but currently working in Australia, is also thinking in these terms. So another way is to think about, well, this is not about the operative principles of the healthcare system. This is rather some kind of meta question because uh, antibiotic resistance, the threat that it poses, is not the same kind of threat as, for example, the threat that, we, that you pose when you have an epidemic or, or when you have you know, a certain group of people having certain kinds of unhealth and so on, or that you can't cure all kinds of cancers or, or these kinds of threats, right? This is another kind of threat 
because this uh, threat threatens to undermine the effectiveness of the entire system. And therefore, it becomes a question of sustainability of the system. So, so this is like, so then you can start to think in quasi-economic terms about this, that if we don't do this action, we're actually wasting resources in the future because we're, we will reduce the future effectiveness of the system. So this is about preserving something that we think is a good. And to do that, we have to pay some costs at some point. Uh, and this is a way then of thinking that, well, well, you have a system that delivers a good, and the way you deliver the good undermines your future capability of continuing to deliver the good, then you have a reason to actually revise the way that you deliver the good. And in this way, you revise the way by being more careful about what antibiotics you use then in the health system, although this incurs risk, harm, and costs for certain individuals at certain places, no fault of theirs. So this is two ideas about how to reshape uh, the way we think about priority setting within healthcare in the light of that. So one thing I will say finally is that one critical thing here, I think, is to think about um, even if you say yes to any of these suggestions, you still have another question, namely, so if you're going to have this kind of more population-oriented or system-oriented ethics operating in the health system, it's still a question of where in the health system you want it operating. So this is something I talked about with Michael Miller last time. So one idea is to say that we should have these kinds of changes, but we should try to avoid to have them operating down on the shop floor. We don't want to have these kinds of considerations immediately entering, for example, the consultation discussion between the GP and the patient. So it should be done at some level above. So it's for the doctor, it's really no choice. So the doctor, the only doctor can say is that, well, I'm sorry, this drug is not on the menu. Basically, it's not available. But I think this, there's a problem with that because we live in a reality with, for example, web pharmacy. So if the doctor says that, the patient may very well get the drug anyway in these other ways. So if we live in that reality, the doctor might be forced to engage in this ethical discussion with the patient in order to motivate the patient, and might then be forced to actually start to bring these kinds of things up. So I leave you with that. Thank you.